0: Man, what a day so far. And listen, we are wrapping up the Elephant in the Room series. And so hopefully you guys are ready. Hopefully these last several weeks have been um, kind of an exciting time for us because we've been jumping into the really difficult questions. The the questions that are like, man, here's the elephant in the room and what do we do with this? Help us to figure these things out. And we're going to wrap it up today. But I do want to say this real fast. We um, kind of loop you in on a situation that's happening in India. Many of you know of what's been going on in India. And I just wanted to share a little bit of what our church has been able to do. You know, if, in case you don't know, India's been experiencing uh, record high numbers of COVID cases over the last couple of weeks. Um, over 20 million cases, adding thousands every day. And according to national news channels, there, there are around 25,000 people dying daily. Hold on, just let that sink in for a minute. 25,000 people. And there's just, those are just the numbers being recorded. And nationally, like there's no room in hospitals. They're running out of medical supplies. Um, That means people are being turned away for, you know, preventable or treatable cases of covid Which is why, man, when we think about our two partners in India right now, um, just hopefully we're thinking about and praying for them. We have two partners, Central India Christian Mission is one of our partners, as well as Mid-India Christian Partners. And because of um, our commitment as a church to giving to faith promise, and and many of you are just like my wife and I, every month we've got this rhythm of like, okay, let's, let's give to faith promise because we want to be ready when God says, I need you we want to already have been in there we want to already have done the work so that when god needs to show up somewhere he can and that's what's happening right now because of your faith promise giving our outreach team was able to reach out to both of our partners and just say how can we help at the end of last year you might have remembered we helped finish out a wing of the hospital with central uh, india christian mission Amen. serving an area of over five million people Think about that. Man, but here's what we were able to do. We reached out and said, hey, how can we help? And an additional funds, this month went to help purchase an oxygen generator. So we were allowed, able to store and fill more and more oxygen tanks faster um, just to help that hospital reach some of the need. Um, also with Mid-India, they have a facility that we were able to kind of help support, uh, provide some funds for them to turn it into a field hospital. So all the overflow from the hospitals where they're not able to get a bed They were able to kind of go to that facility. And uh, again, let me just say, please, listen, thank you for doing this. Thank you for being committed to generosity. Thank you for saying like we're all in on this because it is making a difference right now in our world. And so thank you for doing this. And in fact, what I want to do, yeah, this is... and just to say this, if you're new to Compassion, uh, the, the Compassion family takes generosity very seriously. We give time and we give resources and we give talents to the kingdom because we know it's gonna make a difference. So that's why we're all about this. But let's take a minute and, uh, and let's just pray for India, pray for our partners. And I, as I'm praying, if you've got friends there and people there, lift them up as well, all right? So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much that your hand is over all things. This is not too big for you. This is not surprising to you. You're not concerned about this situation. In fact, you've been working in in preparation for this kind of craziness and chaos in such a dark part of our world. Thank you for our partners. You've equipped them. You've set them there for this moment. And you've given us the privilege of having a partnership with them so that we can actually help make a difference for your name in our generation. But God, there's a lot of hurt going on. And so in, in ways that we fall short, could you provide comfort, provide your presence, provide everything that they need? Because our partners are facing both personal grief as well as looking at their community and seeing this uh, COVID just wreaked havoc in their community. So have mercy, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, so again, let me just say this. Um, we are in this at the, or not, <laughs> that's coming. Uh, we are in um, the Elephant in the Room series. Um, and the Elephant in the Room series is all about the questions that you've been going, man, there's something that I wish our church would talk about. And so we've walked through some of those things, right? We we talked about all the sex questions. If you missed that, you're going to want to go back for that one. But then we talked about like marriage and divorce and relationships and politics. And how do we just do all these things? How do we face it? Excuse me. And so today we're wrapping it up and we've been making a a, a pretty clear, this is how followers of Jesus deal with these situations. This is how followers of Jesus live today. So the whole series, we've been making a massive assumption. And the assumption is that most of us in the room actually care what the Bible says, which is a pretty big assumption. But then you think a lot of the questions that came in, we heard these questions of the struggle that we have with scripture because we hear so many different things. And so we've built an entire understanding of how to live on a biblical worldview. But the question that needs to be addressed is, can I trust the Bible? Can I trust it? I mean, isn't this thing like written thousands of years ago? Like, what can can I trust that this was exactly what it was intended to be? See, my concern is that you're gonna hear a lot of voices in our culture telling you things like, the Bible's unreliable. It's going to just question things like, aren't there tons of errors and mistakes and contradictions? Like, how do you even begin to a- tackle the question of, you know, all the violence in the Old Testament? Was there like one God in the Old Testament and another God in the New Testament? You know, questions like with all the different translations, how can you trust that we even know which one's the real one? Like, how do we do this? And so my, my concern again is this. If you hear the same voice over and over saying, it's unreliable, it's unreliable, it's unreliable, the concern is that you're gonna actually start to believe that without thinking critically about it. That's a dangerous thing. So I've been um, through this struggle personally, okay? So as a sophomore in college, I remember having to face some of these same questions and then going like, am I just living out a faith that my family gave me? Or do I really believe this? Am I really all in on this? Is this am, I, am I going to trust my life to Jesus and live according to his word? There, I had to deal with that. And so what I want to encourage you, if you have questions, if you're skeptical about things, don't retreat into your doubts, but pursue it. Pursue truth. Pursue these things. Whenever you have a doubt, let that be the thing that kind of pushes you into exploring what what actually is true. Because the answers are there. The answers are available. You just have to seek it out. So my goal today is to simply help us see that the Bible is 100% trustworthy. You could bank your life on it. You could build your life on it. And I hope you will. So to do this, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the authority of Scripture. Where does that come from? And we're going to talk about the authenticity of Scripture. Is it accurate? Is it, is it still the same as what it was originally? So let's start with authority. Why do followers of Jesus look at Scripture, you know, this New Testament and Old Testament that we have here? Why do we look at this as our authority? And to get there, we need to have a better understanding of what exactly is the Bible what is, what is the scriptures, you know? And, and this is where scripture is actually really helpful about telling you about itself. And so I was listening to a guy, Tim Mackey. If you haven't heard that name, you need to get to know that name. He's one of the masterminds behind the Bible Project. They'll take different books of the Bible or different themes in scripture and then kind of unpack it for you. And they're phenomenal videos and he's a phenomenal thinker. And so I trust him and I think you should too. And he has some insight into this uh, conversation as well. So we're gonna jump through a few passages. Um, You can jump to them if you want. Uh, We're also gonna put them up here, but we're gonna start in Exodus 17, verse 14. So let me read it and then I'll tell you what's going on. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. So he says, Write this down. So, what had just happened is God liberated his people out of Egypt. And he did amazing things so that Pharaoh would go like, I can't, I'm not bigger than your God. Get out of here. Okay, that's what happened. So God did amazing things to help liberate the people out of Egypt. And then before, right before this passage, and go read the story in Exodus 17, right before this, God, again, rescued his people from a battle. He won the victory for them. And so, and so he talks to Moses and says, listen, you need to start writing this stuff down. Because I'm doing some amazing stuff here in the life and history of humanity. You're not going to want to miss this. And so the reason this is important is because this is the first time in Scripture where we see someone writing down Scripture. It's the first time that we get to see, oh, it's important to take note of this. It's important to write these things down. So look what's happening. It's God's message. It's God moving. It's God's activity in our world written down by a man named Moses. So in a way, Scripture is a picture of how God continues to work in our world today. He says, I'm still working. I've still got a lot of things I want to do. I still have a message. I still hold the keys to truth. I still hold these things, but I'm working through who? Us, humanity, broken and messed up people. Don't pretend you're not. We all are. Right, so, so it's God's message, God's work through people. So it's a picture of how he continues to work today. That means the Bible, and this is how Tim describes it. It's a thoroughly human book that speaks God's message to his people. The Bible is both a divine book and a human book. It's divine because it's God's message. It's his activity. It's, his, it's all about him, all right? Uh, but it's human in that it was written by people in specific times, Particular places, and they each have particular personalities. So, here's here's what scripture is. Okay, it is the story of God and how He rescued and redeemed His people. Okay, just hold on to this. It's the story of God and how he rescued and redeemed his people. Now we're going to take this and we're just going to build it, okay? We're going to build an understanding. We want a thick understanding of what Scripture is. A simple way to think about the story of God is this. There are four movements to the story of God. I want to encourage you, hold on to the whole story here, okay? you when you think of the bible you think of this meta narrative from creation fall redemption to restoration you hold the whole thing because a lot of times people ask a question about something that happened right here and you're going to if you don't have an idea of what the story is you might get tripped up a little bit you might not realize what's happening Because in the creation, God said, I want to create a place where God can dwell with humanity. And together they can work out God's will in his world. But then the fall happened because humanity stepped out from the will of God. We stepped out from the way that he wanted to do things. And we said, you know what? I think I can do better. And all of a sudden, sin entered the door because we opened the door. And sin began to wreak havoc because sin always brings death and destruction always brings death and destruction and so all of a sudden we realize we we have a desperate need for redemption and then the story continues as there's a restoration of God's original dream for his world a a place where God could dwell with humanity and they could continue to partner to work out that plan but if you don't hold this story all together what happens is you hear questions like well what about the Old Testament violence Like, there's no way you can hold on. Like, what do we do with that? Well, here's what you realize. Well, as soon as humanity stepped out from under the will of God, stepped away from the practices that he said are the most important ways to be human, think about if every person in this room ran wholeheartedly at the most broken and wicked and darkest desires of their heart, that's what happens when sin enters the world. And so the fall, or let's think in terms of a lot of the Old Testament, is a picture of humanity running unhindered in their pursuit of sin. And guess what it brings? Death and destruction. Guess what else it brings? A lot of weird stuff. (laughs) Right? You read through, some of you have read through the Old Testament and you're like, that was crazy. What? What is going on? Well, it's unrestrained sin without a sufficient solution to sin. It's unrestrained sin without a sufficient solution to sin. So you're going to see certain things happen. You're going to see God go, I cannot believe that they would treat each other like this. I cannot believe that they would do this to babies. I cannot believe that they would do this to one another. So there are these moments where God finally goes like, I'm done with this. And then he decides that I'm I'm going to get rid of this unbridled wickedness. And sometimes he just does it because he can't believe that humans would treat each other like this. And then sometimes he works with his people and he says, we have to get rid of this because if this continues, the world is done. If, if sin is unrestrained, it will always bring death and destruction. So sometimes he sends his people and he works with his people. Sometimes the people go and God's going like, what are you doing? Like, what? <laughs> that is not what I want you to do. And, and, and so they just take matters into their own hands. So you read all of these stories, but in the context of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, all of a sudden we begin to get some framework for how this fits. Because what we realize is that our need is bigger than just dealing with a group of wicked people. The issue is bigger than just dealing with this brokenness right here. We need God to deal with sin and its effect on humanity and creation. So, Scripture is a story of God rescuing and redeeming his people. Here's the next verse that kinda helps us build this out a little bit. And again, this is the second time in scripture someone is told to write down scripture. Exodus 24, verse three and four. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. Again, think about it. They, they're just, they were liberated. They were given the law. They were said, like, this is how we should do. And then and all these things are happening. So he wrote, he said, these are the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered in one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And so Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. why did he write them down? Because it's easy to say something, Right? I tell my kids, these are your chores. And they're like, all these chores you have said we will do. They've never actually said it like that. But I'm like, yeah, right, you will. And so I write them on the fridge so I can go, they're written on the fridge. Do your chores. Right? Okay. So, so this, is, this is the rules. These are the, the guidelines for how to be human, for how to be human, the best version of it. Okay. Then it drops down to verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant, scripture, and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, again, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. You see, a major part of the story of God in this rescuing and redeeming his people is that he's inviting them into a covenant with him. Now we don't use the word covenant very often unless you're getting married. And even then it's like, this is just what we're supposed to say, you know. But but the idea of covenant is like in in marriage, it's a, a man and woman entering into covenant with one another and God. And we're saying, because I desire this relationship, because I desire something so significant, I'm entering into covenant and there are vows or there are agreements that come with the covenant. Till death do us part kind of things, right? That's, that's what comes with the territory of covenant. For richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. And so with the covenant comes terms of the agreement, so to speak. And so that's what, that's what happens. So we see the scripture, is the story of God and how he's rescuing and redeeming his people by entering into covenant with them. This is how he, he rescues and redeems his people, entering into covenant with them and showing them how to live. Because they had lost it. And so he's showing them the best way to be human again. This is, this is what scripture is. So in Exodus or this Exodus passage, did the Israelites follow the rules for living according to the covenant with God? Absolutely not. It was a disaster. <laughs> they, were, they were like horrible at it, right? Like day two, they're like running after sin again. And, and so the Old Testament is one example after another of God rescuing his people and them turning their backs on him. And they suffer severely because they step out from underneath the will and the rules and the reign of God. And so they experience severe consequences for not living according to this covenant and then needing to be what? Rescued again. Man, if I were God, I would have given up way earlier on them, right? But thank goodness I'm not. Thank goodness you're not. So the people keep choosing sin. Finally, God gets fed up to the point where he says, you know what? I'm going to show up myself. God in the flesh. This old covenant's not working. We need a new one. And so God in the flesh show up. This is Jesus. Fully God, fully man. And when Jesus steps on the scene, Mark 1, verse 15, here's what he says The time is fulfilled, meaning it's happening. Time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Well, what's the gospel? It's the story of God. And how he rescues and redeems his people by inviting them into covenant with them and learning the ways to be human. That's the, that's the gospel. It's all rooted in who God is. And so Jesus says that God's rule over his world, his kingdom coming, means his rule is coming and it's finally going to take over again. That the time of humanity being held captive to sin is coming to an end. So that's why Jesus, that's what he did. He lived this life and won his kingship and then sealed it by dying on a cross and being raised to life again. And what he brought with him was a new covenant. A new one. A new way in which God could be with man again. A new way in which we could walk according to his kingdom. That's what he established. And after he died and rose again, think about that, he died and rose again. If you don't believe that, that's, that's what the next thing you need to pursue. If you're a skeptic you need, and you're, you have questions about who Jesus is, the real question is, did he really live and did he really die and did he really come back to life? I think if you don't have a solid understanding of that, that's where you need to pursue and do some homework. So after he does that, though, he meets with his disciples. Look at what he says. Jesus came and said to them, all what? Authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He he won it. It was rightfully his, but he humbled himself as human and and won all authority in heaven and on earth. So, why do we accept scriptures as your primary source of authority? Because our allegiance is not to a book, it's to a person. Our allegiance is to Jesus. Tim Mackey says it this way. What we mean when we say that the Bible has authority is that Jesus has authority over me. And that authority is expressed to me through the scriptures. Because this is the story of God. So he goes on. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is our Purpose. Look at this, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's that? Drawing them into covenant with God. God says, "He's opened the door and said, enter into relationship in covenant with me. And then do what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What is that? This is the ways or the terms of the covenant. This is how we live with God in relationship with him, partnering with him in his world to do his work. That's what this is about. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. So here, let's, this is our full definition of what is Scripture. Scripture is the story of God rescuing and redeeming his people by entering into covenant with them and showing them how to live through the life and authority of Jesus. That's what it is. This is why Paul can say in 2 Timothy verse 3, verse 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed. It's, it's from him. It's his message. It's his heart. It's the work he's wanting to do. It's God-breathed. It's from inside of God, and it's coming out at us. And it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. What's that? This right living that's the best way to be human. That's what I was talking about. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What Paul is saying is you can trust scripture. That's what he's saying. You can trust it. For understanding truth through the story of God. For understanding how to live your life. So we made it through the first half of our question. Where does the authority of Scripture come from, all right? Good news is the second half won't be nearly as long. Okay, so now let's talk about the authenticity, all right? Is it accurate? Is what we, okay, I love Jesus. I I think Jesus is great, but this book, isn't this messed up? I mean, it's taken a long time to get here. Aren't there a bunch of mistakes in it? So we're gonna talk about, um, is what I'm holding in my hands accurate to what God originally wanted it to become, so we get the, the, again, the idea of authority, but we got so many translations and aren't there tons of mistakes, blah, blah, We're gonna get into all that, right? So heads up, we're gonna nerd out for a minute. So prepare yourself, everybody sit up. We're gonna get a lot of information. Here we go. The Bible was written by 40 plus authors over a period of 1,500 years. Please think about how crazy and miraculous that is by itself. 40 different authors, Over a period of 1,500 years, it's almost like there was one author who was over all time, over all places, absolute power and control of all things, and yet intimately involved in humanity to make that happen. And that's exactly how it worked. Forty different people speaking the voice of God for their generation and for every generation over the period of 1,500 years. That is amazing. And guess what? We're not able to get into any of that. Um, but there's a lot of information about this. Here's what, this is amazing. There, th- it, this information has never been so accessible. Like, if you really want to go to the depths of how that process all came together, you could spend years diving into that and getting into that and, and nerding out like crazy. And we won't we'll get into all that, but we are going to talk about three things. Scribes, findings, and canon. Not like canon, but like the Bible coming together, canon, that's what that means. So first you need to know we don't have any original documents of scripture. I'd rather you hear that from me than somebody else, okay? We don't have any of them. Like you can't go to the museum and and find any original documents of scripture. Here's the, the reality though. There are no original documents of ancient writings, like they don't exist from the time when scripture was written. None of them still exist. I mean, just picture it. So they got the scrolls where scribes are writing out copies of the original documents. They wear out, all right? Or the papyrus where they're writing out the copies of it or it's you know something written on a pot and they're trying to copy it and they drop the pot and it broke and you're like, crud. Well, I'm glad we made a copy of it. So, so these things happen, right? These are thousands of years ago when all this stuff happened. But this is why it's so important um, the job of the scribes. They took their job to meticulously copy these documents, almost to the point where their life depended on it, okay? So here's one example of how meticulous they got. They would count the marks and symbols on each line, and then they would, they would tally the, the numbers of each line at the bottom of the page. And then if, if they didn't have the same number of markings as the copy, guess what they did? Threw it away. How annoying would that job be? Oh my goodness, that would be the worst. But they, listen, they would like give their lives to this because they knew how important what they were doing was. There were moments in history, think about the empires that have come and gone. Think of all the different peoples who have held power. Think of all the time. And there are men and women who risked their lives to take hold of and keep care of these ancient writings. They risked it all for it because they knew there's something special about the story of God and how he rescued and redeemed his people. So now there are variants that start to show up in these writings, okay? And, and we'll get a little bit into that um, as we move on. But these variants shouldn't make you nervous. If anything, it should go like, of course. Man, it, it makes it more exciting to kind of dig into this and start to figure out why different things show up in different places. But we'll get into that in a second. When you place the New Testament against any other ancient document, you will notice that there is far more manuscript evidence supporting the accuracy of translation. That sounds like nerd stuff, but look at this. Here's what this means. So... Caesar's Gaelic Wars, we have 10 copies. Here's what this means. They have 10 copies, they read all the copies and they look at the differences and they look how they're the same and they go, okay, based on these 10 copies, we can get a pretty good idea of what the original writing was, okay? 10 copies is not that much, okay? But you don't see anybody going freaking out over gaelic wars whatever okay livy's history of rome 27 copies okay homer homer's iliad we have 640 copies that means they could take all these copies put them together and get a good idea of what the original looked like guess how many in the new testament by itself 5700 almost 6000 because we're discovering more all the time almost 6000 copies that means you can get really close to understanding. And this doesn't even include the 10,000 Latin copies that we have or the more than one million quotes that you hear from the early church fathers who say things like, and you know how Jesus said this. And you could pull the whole New Testament together just because of the quotes of the the early church fathers alone. But we're just talking about the manuscripts. We're just talking about the copies that we have of the New Testament. So to sweeten things up just a little bit more, In 1947, we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. I say we like I was there. I wasn't, um, but it's a pretty exciting thing. Um, So they discovered the the Dead Sea Scrolls in Qumran, and we found an entire copy of Isaiah. Think about that, an entire copy of the book. So on both sides, people were going like, finally we're gonna get to see how accurate this thing is. And they're going like, finally we're gonna get to discover how manipulated scripture was. So... They did their little analysis thing and confirmed that 95% was word for word accurate over the course of, listen, 1100 years. 1,100 years, 95% accuracy. Listen, some of you are still trying to get the original copy of your grandmother's recipe. And you're like, I have so many different versions. I don't know which one it really was. And we're talking like, that's 40 years. This is 1,100 years and 95% accuracy over that time. That's insane. But it just goes back to show how serious people took this. Regarding variants, you need to understand. When we say variants, we're talking about like accidental scribble marks, like I sneeze and like, oh, crud. Should I start over or just like circle it? Like that's just me sneezing. Okay, like, or like misspelled words or, or somebody capitalized it in this version but not in that version. So that's what most of those things are. But here's what's amazing. Every variant is in your Bible. It's not like this is a secret that we're trying to hide somewhere. Like don't say that. You're gonna ruin everything. No, we said all of it right here. You can look in your footnote of your Bible right now and find the variants that we're talking about. Any of the variants that actually matter, you can find them in your scripture or in your Bible. Douglas Stewart, who's a textual critic scholar, he says this, 99% of the original words in the New Testament are recoverable with a high, very high degree of certainty. In the case of the Old Testament, that figure's more like 95%. Oh man, we really dropped the ball there. "'When the words that are recoverable "'with a fairly high degree of certainty are added, "'we may be confident that we are able to read, "'reflect upon, and act upon "'what is practically equivalent to the original itself.'" Now listen to this part. There is no area of Christian faith or practice that actually stands or falls on textual studies. Here's what this means. that means that in spite of all the variants none of them impact core truths or doctrine of our Christian beliefs. Not one. You're not going to find one variant that says that Jesus is the brother of Satan instead of God himself. You're not going to find that. You're not gonna find any of those variants. All of these, regardless of every variant, the the core truths of Scripture are pure and true. Now, real fast, regarding the books that actually made it into our modern-day Bible, here's a huge process of this, super fascinating for some of you, not fascinating at all for many of you, but here's what you need to understand. We're not gonna get into that either, but here's what it is. It's not like they added the books to the canon and then they were given authority, the books that made it into your Bible already had authority. That meant in the Jewish communities and in the Christian communities and the, you know, in the Old Testament times and in the first century times, these, these writings already had authority. And so it was obvious that these should be the ones included in the canon that we now call our Bible today. So I say all this again, just to say you can trust You could trust what you have in your hands as the authority on how to live, the authority of the story of God, the authority of how to live uh, to the ways of Jesus, and as the authentic, untampered with word and message of God. You could trust it. You could bank your life on it. You could build your life on it. And just to say this if you were to apply the same level of scrutiny and criticism. An investigation that Scripture has been enduring for hundreds upon hundreds of years at this point, to the same junk you fill your mind with every day, none of it would stand. You apply the same kind of criticism for the, yeah, exactly. You apply the same scrutiny that Scripture's withstood to the news you watch. Oh my goodness. Right? If you apply the same thing to your podcasts or the YouTubers or the, you know, the social media influencers in your life that are making such an impact on you. If you apply the same level of scrutiny scripture's gone through, guess what? 50 years ago, your science books looked different. You know why? Because we discovered more amazing stuff about God's creation. That's why. And guess what? The next 50 years, we're going to find more stuff. So your science books now are going to look different. And that's okay because I think science is going to become a field that confirms our faith more and more as we move forward. As we get smarter, we're going to see that this is true and this is good and this is worth building your life on. But let me just say oh my goodness, there is no text that has ever, ever gone through the same pressure and scrutiny that Scripture has, and it's withstood the test of time over and over again. The overwhelming evidence for Scripture makes it entirely reasonable to trust. Reasonable to trust it. In fact, the burden of proof is on the critic, not you. So as we close, I just wanna encourage you. Listen, you don't have to be worried uh, when people bring up hard questions about Scripture. There are answers. You just just engage the conversation and seek the truth, and then you move forward. You don't have to be concerned about it or worried about it. Are there things in Scripture that don't make sense? Yeah. Are there things in your life that don't make sense? Yeah. (laughs) Right? (laughs) <laughs> like, are there, are there weird things in there that we pretend like, man, that really, wish that wasn't there. Yeah, there are some of those too. This was written in a really weird time. It was written, there, there are a lot of these things that fell right in the fall that I'm like, man, whew, sin, sin made a mess. Are there things in here that make me have to go, huh, I'm gonna have to live different than what I want? I'm going to have to live differently than what our culture says. I'm going to have to stand against some things because I'm standing for Jesus. Yeah, you're going to have to do that. But you can remember that God is bigger than you think and he is good. And so let me just leave you with this. If you genuinely seek understanding, you can find it, pursue it. Do the hard work. You can learn why the scripture has authority in your life. Get to the place where you can defend that. But remember, our faith is not built on a book. Our faith is built on a person, Jesus. And if someone's going to come after your faith, they got to get through Jesus first. And listen, yeah. Just as a reminder... He's already beat death in the grave. (laughs) So I think he's okay. So let's pray let's continue on here. Father, so thankful for your grace. So thankful for who you are. Thank you for your word. Man, I wish we could play back the tape on how people work so hard to preserve and fight for and even risk their lives to make sure that the word was still available to us. Thank you for what they did. Thank you for their heart and pouring pouring their heart in the ring to make this happen. When empires rise and fall, these men and women sacrificed everything to make sure that we could see and understand your truth, the story of how you've rescued and redeemed us and asked us to enter into covenant with you to live according to your ways through the life and authority of Jesus. God, we're so thankful for your grace. Help us to run after you with a newfound confidence. Help us to lift our head in a culture that seems to be so broken and at fight and conflict. Like we have hope in you and we don't wanna miss that. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name, amen.